Welcome to Changes with C.A. Sador. Real people, real lives, real changes. Join Carissa as she sits down with guests to discover how they navigated through a significant change in their lives. The information contained in all Changes with C.A. Sador podcasts or videos are not meant to take the place of a diagnosis, physician, or other professional advice. They are for educational purposes only. All use of the information presented is at your own discretion. Neither Say Sador or any of her associates will be held liable for any injury, damage, or loss, financial or otherwise, as a result of the information contained in all Say Sador podcasts or videos. Today's guest is Samantha Joseph, a former successful IT engineer turned gifted chiropractor. Samantha Joseph was initially worked in the IT field, namely as client server solutions, data communications, and LAN WAN maintenance for 12 years. Her background was in electronic engineering technology and electrical engineering, applying artificial intelligence applications in local area networking. While doing engineering work in Santa Fe, New Mexico, she studied Japanese-style acupuncture, Kototama Life Medicine, with her sensei for five years. There, she realized she could feel people's pain within her own body, which led her on a lifetime search of how to help people heal. By 1999, she realized that she could not only experience people's pain, but could feel energy flowing within them or where the energy was dense and or blocked. She decided then to leave engineering and return full-time to the world of healing arts by entering chiropractic college, where she graduated cum laude in 2004 from Logan University with a doctorate in chiropractic and began work with Lyme disease patients in the field of chiropractic until she left clinical practice she was involved with in 2010, when she then healed herself from chronic fatigue and Lyme disease and found her own healing practices and methods. Prior to 2010, Samantha worked in a clinic treating the chronically ill at a clinic specializing in Lyme disease. There, she worked with various modalities in the world of holistic healing and chiropractic care, including herbal remedies, supplements, detox regimens, light, color, sound, essential oils, dietary and nutritional changes, along with biological medicine practices. Wanting to gain a deeper understanding of the world of energy medicine and the waves of energy that she sensed within herself and others, Samantha was then led to pursue spiritual healing techniques, which changed attitudes, increased awareness, and as a result, modified physical maladies. Samantha was determined to learn how to use these techniques to help others and teach them how to do it for themselves. In the process, the path led her to study with various teachers in Hindu, Sufi, and Taoist traditions, while also exploring her roots in Christianity and Catholicism. Samantha's goal is to teach people how to reconnect with source, creator, energy, and experience what this feels like, along with how to access it, thereby empowering themselves to heal their own issues and potentially modify physical matter, helping others heal themselves by consciously dispersing dis-ease to avoid or dissolve disease is her guiding principle. Samantha currently works with people over the phone or in person to help them on their path of healing, where they work on how to reestablish the energy of peace within themselves and providing tools to modify continuing patterns in their life that no longer serve them. Her healing work is deeply energetic and experiential in nature. It could be taught but it's really an inner journey of addressing false beliefs and dismantling them through different techniques and practices. While it's not always an accelerated process, 
Occasionally, quick fixes and miracles do occur. Samantha currently resides in Oregon, where she has a private chiropractic practice, as well as a remote healing practice. There, she practices spiritual healing and various energetic healing modalities, teaching spiritual healing methods, and provides healing work individually or in small groups. Samantha works with people from across the globe, assisting them in gaining their ability to transform their own lives through prayer and meditation. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. Great. Now, if listeners want to contact you or learn more about you, where and how can they find you? That is such a good question. I'm pretty much by word of mouth right now. And I um, just was establishing um, a line for the phone to be used. And, and if they wanted to reach me by email, I, I created an email address so they could. It's um, not the easiest one at this point, but it's it's E, and I was going to give this to you separately, E-O-A-L-U at Outlook.com. Great, great. So we'll have that noted as well on the website. Now we're going to just dive right into your life because you have a very it's interesting. You went from one side of the brain to the other in your career path. And I feel like that's actually the call of balance, which drives quite a few people. And in fact, a couple of guests that I've also practiced with or, or had the lucky chance to sit down with just like yourself. Now, one thing that we talked about offline was how you grew up as an empath. And I feel like that was actually the link that kind of links to the work you do now. Would you mind sharing with listeners what an empath is and how you experienced life as an empath growing up? Sure. So I was thinking you were asking me two things at first with regard to balance, like coming from a masculine and then into a feminine, but you want me to talk to you more about an empath, what that is first? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, an empath is somebody who can feel other people's perhaps thoughts, feelings, emotions in their pain. So their sensory perceptions within their own body. So I could sometimes feel somebody, you know, someone slams a, their finger in a door and your finger hurts, something like that. So, but it's not necessarily only limited to that. So sometimes it's um, in the more subtle realms, it's how energy is flowing within the body. So kind of like the best way to explain it to me is, in acupuncture, they have all these pathways and that are established as meridians and being able to feel the energy, whether it's flowing in those meridians or not. So you mentioned you're able to feel it physically. How did it feel like when you had felt their emotions? Were you also able to feel their feelings and thoughts? And how was that experience growing up? Or how did you process that information? You know, it's sort of an evolution, right? So when you're a kid, you don't know what's happening. And you think sometimes traumatic experiences kind of blow this open in us so that we're more wary of what's going on around us because perhaps there's a predatorial people in your, <laughs> in your field. So sometimes I would feel people's thoughts, which maybe weren't, appropriate like they didn't like us right or they mm -hmm. did like us so if they did like us it usually makes you feel good and you don't even have to say anything to figure that out but when you're a kid you're not really aware of that I do know um I was just thinking of this example my mom uh, I remember her saying to me she goes yeah you're a pretty strange kid she goes we walked into this room one time to get something you were with me you're pretty young and then we left 
And you said, oh my God, they were so noisy. And she thought, wow, I don't know what to do with you because nobody said anything when we walked into that room. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that would be me. And so they were so, it was like static to me. So experiencing the noise in people's minds, like if we look at people who are a little bit older, it used to have the black and white TVs and they would go out at a certain time in the night. Okay. Yes, and there would be yes. White it was and like black. The, white, the static. Yes. <laughs> And that's exactly what it felt like to me. So as a kid, that's the kind of stuff I noticed. Then also, I think Hawaii had a lot of uh, disincarnate spirits. And so growing up there, you know, it was interesting um, and not always fun, but you'd feel things and and you think you're crazy because you don't see things. Well, other people see things, but it was interesting. So you'd feel things kind of like float through. And then, you know, I think it also ran in my family's lineage, like uh, my grandmother would see, see things uh, more than I would. And I didn't realize that till I was older, but she said she could see uh, angels and things like that. I thought that was neat. That is really neat. So your grandmother was able to process it via sight and you processed it via feeling. Yes, very kinesthetic, very just uh, sensory perception, but not like sensory, like palpable, you know, just... It was palpable, but like on the inside of me. Right, right. Almost like emotional, kind of emotional and, and whatnot. Very, like you said, kinesthetic. Yeah, it was so different. I think like what I always thought of is in Tinkerbell, you know, when she drops fairy dust on people. That's yes. I feel it. it was like <laughs> that. It was like, whoa, okay, what was that? And they I show it in that. movies. Right. Sometimes. Oh Where my gosh. Like a ghost walks through you and you go, whoa. you know, it was like. You're right, like Casper. I remember just seeing like a random snapshot of Casper, like the ghost and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And and they show, to your point, that it's, exact like feeling like people will feel cold chill or whatnot. Yeah. And so I didn't know as a kid and my mom would not like it when I would get too strange. So you just kind of kept it in. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny to your point. So you learn to keep it in. Now, as an empath, what were... I guess for empaths growing up now, what are some common pitfalls that they may think or blame themselves or think they're weird like with? And what would you, now that you have the beautiful time and experience that you have to look back now, what would you share with yourself as a child if you could now that would help them as they develop and learn to embrace and that side of themselves? You know, the empaths I've met as children um, or young people, I've told them, you know, you're not responsible in my style of empathic nature. You're not responsible to fix everything for everyone. You don't, you can love someone where they're at and you actually don't have to feel their pain. And then learning to separate, learn how to feel yourself. That's the biggest one, I think, too. <laughs> learn how to feel yourself. I mean, I didn't really understand it I just thought I was strange and so I just kind of stayed away from people because it was kind of painful at times and so that you're not really you're not responsible and really turning back to source and allowing that which created us to be responsible you know and just trying to be the best you can be in integrity with your heart and that connection. And that doesn't mean fixing everything for everything. And then trying to learn to feel your emotions versus somebody else's. 
I have the hardest time on the planet going, am I angry? Am I just an angry person? No, it was, it was I don't understand. I think I, I trained me to sort of separate me in order to not be oh, emotionally like a ping pong ball all the time. You know, so I just compartmentalized and just separated me from myself and, and went linear. So I think that's how I became an engineer. And oddly enough, I think most engineers are very sensitive. They just have no clue how to deal with their emotions. And to me, that was like a huge premise in um, Big Bang Theory. You know, Sheldon? I totally yeah. understood Sheldon. <laughs> 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 and uh, my husband's like, sometimes he reminds me of you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Because you get so linear in order to navigate what the emotion is coming up and uh, how to be present with your own heart and gentle with your own heart rather than just like ones and zeros. It's either good or bad or wrong or right or on or off, you know? Right, right. So a challenging journey, but they need to be gentle. And it so helps to talk to other empaths or women who have cultivated, if it's a woman, a girl, it helps to talk to other girls, I think, who have walked through it and can help them because you can kind of transmit. They learn really well by transmission. Like, this is what it's like to be gentle. This is what it's like to be kind. This is what it's like to be feel anger. This is, but it's okay. You don't have to run away from it. Don't be afraid of the emotions. They exist, but they're not the people. So that's beautiful. You. Like you shared, like, yes, emotions. It's not. So going back to the compartmentalization, when we compartmentalize, we're not allowing ourselves to experience or accept or flow through the emotions. Unfortunately, the emotions get stuck in that compartment or that closet uh, unless a trigger event happens or. Well, yeah, until a trigger event happens and then, oh my gosh, that closet's been really dark because we've suppressed it all that time. Rather than sitting with the emotion, being with the emotion, allowing it to flow through you, and then it passes. And to your point, the boundaries, right? The sensitivity of the boundaries. We had this conversation earlier offline, how as an empath, one of the more difficult things to learn is and you touched upon this, is this my emotion or is this someone else's emotion? Mm-hmm. And because the because the mindset is I need to fix it, I, I think I think the intention is to fix, which is why we absorb. But the problem mm-hmm. with absorbing is, again, we're not processing our own emotions and we're not having our own experience. And then to your point, we become that ping pong ball that keeps going from point A to point B. And then there's we don't really have a center because all of this information is coming at once and, and it's just a mush. Yeah, you know, and in this process, you still have to learn to trust the process. Yes. It's, it is amazing to me how Source walks us through this. And, you know, I used to think I was just a terrible person. I was angry, but I wasn't. It was like you can take on a pattern because you know how to have, you start to learn how to have compassion and kind of hold it quiet like in peace and kind of dissolve it so you can transmute it but you have to let it go and learning this process is a little bit of a trick you know it's a it's a learning and so you don't you just can't hold it against yourself and it is a a true learning so anger was a big thing for me and um I was scared of it 
because it had so much power behind it with some people and people could use it to control or get what they want. Learning how to distinguish yours versus someone else's and then be willing to kind of sit with it so that it can like feel heard, but then let it go so that you're not afraid of it in someone else. I mean, really learning to not be afraid of these things. I also found interesting as an empath. I don't know what all empaths work through walk through. And um, it's just, uh, this is my process. You know, this is what I've seen. And I didn't have the depths of knowledge of it till I started to have to face it. So I went through school and then I went through graduate school in engineering. And then I got out and started to be in the real world. And then you start to kind of walk through your triggers a little bit better and figure out what's going on. I mean, I didn't really realize how empathic I was until I, you know, got my student loan from engineering under control and paid off. And I remember walking into somebody in the hallway because I'm kind of short and I walked into this big guy and went, well, and I went, wow, that's interesting. I'm pretty empathic. I can feel this guy. What's going on? <laughs> and then I thought, wow, I think I'm being called to do something else. So, so that's actually interesting because our, my next series of questions, you touched upon this. What led you to become an engineer? Because it was safe. <laughs> because I was <laughs> define safe. <laughs> I was really bad at English, actually. You know, I grew up speaking slang English, really, in Hawaii. And um, pigeon. Yeah, I spoke pigeon. I was so hard pigeon English, and so English was so hard for me to write. Like, and it was a different thought process. And I was good at math. Like, math math was easy. And I really wanted to go to computer science. And my dad's like, oh, you're really good at math. Let's put you in engineering. I always wanted to do that. And I'm like, okay. So I just, I we we learned in my generation to, you listen to the man of the house kind of thing. I told him what I liked. And he was so, my dad was so opposite. He was like total people person, totally dynamic and extroverted and loud and playful. And I was kind of <laughs> quiet and inside. And I was good at math. I was like, oh, look, I'm good at something. Oh, so he put, that's what he said to do. And I went, oh, okay, dad, because you know better. You're the dad of the house. So yours was man. Mine was where listen to your elders. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, very, very similar. Very similar. Now, mm -hmm. to your point, you're excellent in math. You, Used to you be. Became, <laughs> <laughs> well, you were, right? So <laughs> you had a pretty successful IT engineer career. What do you think contributed to your success uh, as an IT engineer? What qualities? You know, I was really logical. It was easy. You're a Sheldon. <laughs> it was so, there was no emotion. You just didn't, you just got the job done. I showed up, I did my job, I went home. I got a check. And so it was so, it wasn't math. Like I wasn't very good at math, like basic adding, subtracting. I was good at like calculus and differential equations and weird things like that. And then it was logical and it was data communications when I got out. So that's what I was in. And I would just like know where the breakdown was in the process. Like, I, you know, I, I went Share so an example. Share an example. Okay. This is fascinating. So in like, this was like one of my last jobs. I was in a, a year 2K lab. I ran a lab for testing software and making sure that just on the PC side of things, platforms, things were okay. And in my lab, one... So I had a whole lab like where I could separate networks and break out networks. And my wiring guy came in and I said, you know, I have, and, and this is a long time ago, so bear with me. My technology skills aren't what they used to be. 
I was like, I have a loose connection in this cable. It's in this box here and it's going this way. On this. And anyway, he's like, how do you even know that? And I'm like, it's acting that way. Like, look at how the packets sometimes work and then the packets dry. I mean, to me, it was logic. And he's like, I couldn't have figured that out. And he's like, you were right. He goes, show me this, show me this. And I just knew, you know, it was how the packets were behaving on the line. And at that point, I knew how to like ping things and kind of watch packets and with the software we had and or even jumping into a DOS platform. And I knew it was underneath like the operating systems that we were running on top of them. Like I think we were OS2 or something and NT, something like that. So anyway, he was shocked that I could troubleshoot it down to that level. And I don't know, it just made sense in my head. I just understood understood the packet mechanism. But don't forget, I also, I was in local area networking before it was even a, a thing. Like right. people would come in. In graduate school, I was working on artificial intelligence applications in local area networking, like monitoring packets on the line. Mm-hmm. And, and um, it was fun. So I got it. It made sense to me. And so then you get out and you have a job and I just was like, well, this is it. And he's like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just, this is just logic. It was only logic. I mean, but it's beautiful. So to your point, like you say it's logic at the same time, I would challenge you to think that it's perception, the care, the taking care. So, and the reason why I say it's perception mixed with logic, right? So Mm -hmm. you care enough to witness the behavior of the packet. Oh, that's interesting. And then you perceive the behavior in the packet and you care enough to notice this is how to be aware that when a packet is running perfectly, it behaves in this manner. When a packet is not behave is behaving imperfectly, it behaves in that manner. So the logic comes into play by your perception, but the perception actually is the key is determined by what you care about. And you cared about the system as a whole. And you cared about the details of the system and how it all worked in the first place. Your perception was heightened because you cared that the entire system as a whole worked perfectly and would be optimal. You Mm -hmm. cared about the system that you worked about. And so your perception and seeing the nuances, you were heightened to that and you were honed to that. And because you were honed to that, your logic, because you were aware and you cared, you cared enough to be aware, which then <laughs> plays the logic, logic game. X happens, this happens, X ha- and you're right, but not enough, not to the other gentleman's point, his level, he cared, but not at the level that you did regarding the maintenance of the system and how the system works as a whole. So you cared about the well-being of whatever system you're working on. In this case, it happened to be IT. And now it's, but yeah, (laughs) so something to consider. That's so interesting you say it that way, because now, you know, it gives me a little bit more appreciation for what I did and what I could do, because I I hear that. I remember, in fact, you're triggering a memory of that era where uh, they they, we had a conference, like, and a bunch of people came together and we got outside. This guy was kind of bashing the contractors, little to his knowledge did he know that I was a contractor and I said you know I kind of take offense to that because I care more than you guys do and this is what I'm doing here and I show up a lot 
So it was pretty fascinating. Now that you say that, now I'm putting it together. You know, it's the caring really, and for people's bodies and souls. And it's just this deep caring that you want. You just want people to have it easier than it is inside themselves. Even myself. I mean, that that was probably harder for me to turn it in. But I did care for the work I did and wanted to be the best at it I could be. And then on my way to chiropractic college, I did hear a voice say, now you can't approach people how you approach things. It just doesn't work the same. <laughs> you can't Sheldon out. <laughs> yeah. So it was a journey in learning how to let that strictly cerebral part of me go and then integrate. And, and that's a perfect segue because I wanted to actually ask you, in your bio, you mentioned that you studied the Japanese style acupuncture. Like, what led you to even start that while you're an IT engineer? Oh, it was kind of easy. I mean, so I got it. I graduated and then I was studying. Then I worked as an engineer and I was in Santa Fe doing technical stuff. And um, I was kind of bored. Like, I had this real craving of the brain, <laughs> you know, and I wanted to know more. And I still remember, I think I felt broken and I, I wanted to know how to help people heal. And I met this guy and he was an incredible healer, I thought. And he could take your pulses and tell you what emotions you had and what foods you craved and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I want to know. How do you know that? And I'm like looking. He would only do it through pulses, pulse diagnosis. And I was fascinated and I wanted to understand it better. So I asked him if I could study with him. And he says, yeah. So he had a few people studying with him and I just was fascinated with him. And he also had a spiritual bend and it was really fun to talk to him about those things because nobody, I didn't know enough people to talk to me about uh, those things outside of what I was, the realm I was in. And so it was neat. And so I got to do that and work in the clinic. And then I was working in the clinic and, and that's when I really saw oh my God, I can feel their pain in my body. I mean, really at a conscious level, right? I'm an, sort of an adult now. So going back, so you studied acupuncture for five years with that sensei. At what point did you decide to become a chiropractor? Because that was before the clinic, right? So what happened is um, I graduated engineering. So then I worked sort of around and did jobs. I wanted to go to Santa Fe. So I went to Santa Fe when I left graduate school in electrical engineering. I ended up uh, working in local area networking there. And so I, I worked with computers in for a real job. And then I studied acupuncture at night for fun uh, because I could. And he was willing to teach me. And I was so blessed. So I did his clinic with uh, the Kodotama Life Medicine and got to um, do needlework on people. And um, we worked with a youth group there and helping those kids uh, who are in a facility and um, heal. And so anyway, let's see what happened then. I eventually, I really had to delve back into engineering because I was not debt free. So I had to really stop that. It was time for me to stop studying that. I had to really get a real job, etc. So my family retired and moved to North Carolina and I went, gosh, I really want to be near them and um, that sort of thing. And when I stopped studying acupuncture, oh, this is what happened. I got a job with the government in uh, Santa Fe supporting the local area network at Federal Highway Administration. So I did that and got uh, to a certain place. And then when my family retired, I moved near them. And I 
got another engineering degree in networking and contracting. And eventually I got debt free and I'm like, oh my God, what do we do? I can't do this the rest of my life. So drive me nutty. It's just chasing things and resolving technical issues. I mean, it, it was so much more financially feasible, but yet it left me empty. And I was like, God, what is it that you want me to do? And that's when one day I walked into this guy at work, boom, and I went, oh my gosh, I have to do something else. <laughs> I just like, yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like, should I study acupuncture? Because that was like my first love, you know, I could feel the flows. That's when I learned about my ability to feel pain in people's bodies. And back then, when I was studying the acupuncture, I told my sensei, I said, you know, Tom, I felt that guy's shoulder pain in my body. And he said, don't do that. And I was like, and so I shut it down and I shut down my ability to feel. Mm. So fast forward, I'm in North Carolina, my family's there and I'm like, so, wow. I'm sorry to interrupt. So essentially like, it's not that he meant don't do that. Like, so it's funny because, you know, his, his thing was like, don't do that. It's not that you shouldn't feel. It's just that you shouldn't take it on. Yes, I think that was it, but he scared me and he didn't right. say it like that. Right, exactly. So and like, he again, the male figure, right? <laughs> Big booming voice going, stop it. And I was like, right. really? You know, because I felt the guy's pain. I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty bizarre. But it's interesting, like it's almost like a child, right? So like the parents saying, don't do it. There's actually more teaching behind the don't do it. But then almost like you were sharing, you kind of went in the child mode and you, you just thought, okay, this is don't do it, period, stop, just stop, you know, and that the, was the interpretation the rather than the teaching. Mind. Yeah, it's ones and zeros. It's either on or off. Don't. Okay. Oh, fascinating. Thank you for that insight. So I think children, you teach It's either like, on or off and it's like, but life isn't like that. Right. <laughs> But through a child's mind, <laughs> I felt very childlike in many ways. I didn't get it. You know, I just did not understand the emotional aspects of life because I didn't let me experience that. It was too painful. I had no idea I didn't. I had no idea until I was much older. So. Wow. So you realize now that. So going back to what you're sharing. OK, it's time to change. Maybe acupuncture, but how did, you know, how did chiropractor go into the mix? Oh my God, so funny. <laughs> so we were, as a family, we were not, um, we had no issues with chiropractic. Growing up in Hawaii, we always saw chiropractors. Like that was part of our life. That was our healthcare system. And so as, as a family, um, my dad got into a football injury when he was in college. And I didn't know this till I was in chiropractic school, I think. and. Um, and his, he, they told him to go home that, that it would just go away. Like you could, and he was walking on crutches and he couldn't stand up straight and stuff. And he was a big guy. My dad was a big man and it, he loved to play football and he couldn't get out of bed almost. And so after two weeks of that, his uh, grandmother was like, fine, take him to, and I can't remember who it was, the guy, the doctor, she's like, he needs to go now. And like, enough, you know, <laughs> like everybody's yeah. like, no, just let it go. He went to the chiropractor, the guy adjusted him, and he was back in working out that same day. So my grand, oh, sorry, my great-grandmother, it was his, his grandmother, um, actually fought for chiropractic rights in Hawaii. So it was in our lineage somehow. And my brother 
went to chiropractic school and um, he was like the youngest guy to ever graduate from Palmer West. And I, I remember him going away to chiropractic college and me going, why do you want to be a chiropractor? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. I was so rude inside my spirit. So here I was in going, okay, I feel you want me to go into the healing arts. I was talking to this, this deep knowingness inside me. And, um, and I said, I really want to study acupuncture. And I kept going, no, chiropractic. <laughs> I kept going, no, acupuncture. <laughs> and I go, no, chiropractic. Oh, fine. So finally I gave in. That's, that's huge that you listen to the inner knowing, even though you're fighting it initially. <laughs> well, I, I fought it all the way. I didn't want to do it, but it asked me. So I said, okay, I mean, what else are you going to do? It's not like you can win. It's like, I mean... <laughs> I kept trying, but, and then it was like, yeah, fine. So I went. So thank God I sometimes really knew the right voice to listen to. This time it wasn't my dad. It was my, it was really source. It was God, what I would call God. How did you learn or know, you know, the right voice to listen to? Because I know I wanted to study acupuncture (laughs) because I felt it. It was so logical to me and it was all based on sine waves, right? It's all like energy. Mm-hmm. And I always thought chiropractors okay. I'm so sorry back then. So how did you know that was the right voice? Like, okay, well, it's still because it stayed no matter what, no matter what you were like trying to throw at it, the feeling just stayed pretty much. Yes. It was so right. Mm-hmm. It was so right. It wasn't based on my desires. It was based on rightness. There's like, it was like Dharma. So I had already studied or been hanging out with Hindu people. And so it was mm-hmm. so dharmic. So how does rightness feel? I'm trying to, I'm trying to draw more description. So, because when people aren't familiar with Dharma, you know, well, what does rightness feel? Not necessarily drawn with desire. So we know it doesn't have the flame of desire or the urgency of desire because I think desire could be very like do it now do it now very passionate you know that it doesn't feel like that per se well so many things you know it was it was time for me to study the healing arts there was no satisfaction and there was nothing there was only a cerebral action almost in, in the engineering it was gratifying financially and because I could use my brain But there was no like heart sense. And I was like, I didn't understand how to break into that heart sense. And my closest to that was working with the acupuncture, the people. Right. And, you know, I knew (laughs) it was a lot of things involved. I didn't know my family really. I wasn't fully aware of the history my family had with the chiropractic either at that time. But I knew it had its validity. And I felt like they were truly healers actually. Those guys were really healers. But they, at that point, I wanted uh, it to be more linear. And so more formal education. And I know that I respected that more. And that by this time, I mean, when I was kind of looking at colleges, I looked at naturopathic doctors back then. I just didn't value, I, I went and visited a school and I was like, I didn't value really the way they taught as much as what the people I knew carried. So chiropractors, they carried a healing essence about them. You could have all the education in the world, but the chiropractors really had a healing essence, but you couldn't encapsulate that and sell it. And so the medical community had no respect for them then. 
you know, which disappointed me and it made me sad inside. So why would I want to be something that didn't have value? Kind of like another whole dedicate your life to learning something and have no value. So it went against my innate desires, but yet the voice inside I knew had my best interest at heart. And it was a sense that it was easier because I had no desire to become a chiropractor. <laughs> I'm like, I'm small. I don't want to get out in front of people and pitch it. And um, I just didn't think, it just was like way not on my radar. And um, I understood the essence of the acupuncture. And I wanted to do that because I understood its essence. But that is not what Source wanted for me. And I had this connection, I guess, with God. That's my bottom line. That's the only way I survived my child's and my life was turning to that because that's the one thing that really was always there. And somehow when I got to a place where I'm just like, I give up, I know I'm not on the right path I'm on. What do I do now? And that was what came through. If it's a bad voice, then it's going to lead you down a path that doesn't feel right. But some part of me knew inside, deep inside, this feels right. This is respected now. This is a it knew it was respected. Now it knew it was a formal degree, a formal education, a formal doctorate. They now required a bachelor's before you entered into your doctorate. So the people were a little bit more mature going in probably. It was right. So I was very grateful that that voice sent me down that path and that I surrendered into that. (laughs) And then it told me, it told me, you know, do not treat people how you treated things. It's not nice. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So that's great. Thank you for for articulating like your journey as far as like how you chose becoming a chiropractor in chiropractic school. Now we're going to go talk about your journey after school. You're part of a successful clinic after after graduation. Would you mind sharing your experiences there and what you learned from your experiences with that clinic? Sure, that clinic was great for me. Um, So let me tell you this. It was pretty funny because I was graduating from chiropractic school and I had to call a friend of mine who was intuitive and go, oh my God, I'm graduating. (laughs) I'm totally stressed out. He was so funny. He was wonderful. I'm so grateful for him in my life. And a lot of... um, Intense things happened right around then, but I I was having a meltdown as I got closer to graduation. And this guy goes, what's wrong with you? And I said, I'm graduating. He's like, you should be thrilled. And I'm like, I'm terrified. <laughs> and he said, wow, look at that. You don't even, you can't even say it. I'm like, say what? He goes, say you want to be a chiropractor. I'm like, that's the problem. I didn't want to be a chiropractor. <laughs> so he had to help me get to this place where I could even say, say, I want to be a chiropractor. So it was, and I'm very blessed. I don't resent it now, but then I was like panicked and he was, so he helped me process it to where I want to be the best energetic chiropractor I could be. And so, and I was, even then I was looking at uh, energetic awareness and um, I, I studied some techniques and in, um, so my, we had to write like a thesis, a paper on something and mine was on, you know, healing and vibration and how do you resonate into entrainment and healing and things like this. So my, because my mind was still like engineering and it understood sine waves and energy and how it worked. I mean, that's how I functioned. I saw energy and sine waves. 
so anyway, I got out and I met somebody who ran, who's very energetically intuitive, ran a Lyme disease clinic in Wichita, was a brilliant businessman and was fun energetically for me. He was um, much more conservative at that time. And if I had gone to his website, which I realized months later, I'm like, wow, if I had gone to your website, I wouldn't have come here because <laughs> it was too conservative. But I knew him and we could talk about God and energy and vibration. And um, we were both interested in similar things, healing with healing with light, color, sound, essential oils, magnets, all these things. And he understood energy and had been to Germany and studied with them, which I was really impressed that he understood like how you harvest at certain times, you have greater potential of energetic healing in the plants, depending on whatever plant it is, depending on who's doing the harvesting, when you harvest, if you're in a bad space or it's not appropriate. What was the practice of harvest? Was that, was that the biodynamics or? Well, in Germany, I think he studied with Walita and they actually were a German company and they taught MDs how to do this and he was a very big man and they thought he was an MD he was a doctor of chiropractic and he went <laughs> he was like the only DC in this group and they're all MDs studying studying things like of this nature where they actually would have intuitives looking at people like walking through the door on harvesting day going yeah you can harvest yeah you can harvest no you can't so that sort of thing oh, and wow. so yeah so they understood how to apply Things that I understood from, I don't even know what, growing up in Hawaii and how close the people are to the earth, the, the Hawaiian people, and then the Native American people that, you know, maybe when you're in your moon, you don't go harvest. Or that's a time for us to go in and be okay with that as women. And so he knew it from that standpoint. And we would talk about these sort of things or that the plants have energetic reactions to people thinking about them. And we talk about these fascinating concepts like, oh, have you read this book like on Finhorn Garden Experiment or Plants Have Feelings, right? So, you know, and we would laugh about it where, oh yeah, remember that guy who did that study um, looking at his yard and he would be in another town and think about cutting his yard and they'd had feedback set up on the yard and the yard would like panic on the screen, go into white noise. You have, know? <laughs> I, have I shared with you? So, um, it's funny that you share that because in an old house, in the last house that Courtney and I lived in, I heard a chainsaw and I felt like this wave of panic. And I was, I felt this wave of panic. And then I looked out and our neighbor was actually reaching across our fence, cutting our tree. So I yelled at Courtney, my, my husband, to, to get the neighbor and he made the neighbor stop. Wow. Good for so, you. So to your to your point, yes, plants have feelings. I felt the plants like wave of panic. I could I was like, what what's going on? And then that was that was the result. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, yeah, I don't think I was that plugged in, but you are consciously, right? So um, I'm happy that you were conscious about it. That's great. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. It was just, you know, primal, primal fear. So, so yeah, to your point, it, it's like, you know, we're, we're here, to, humankind is supposed to be here to help all, all of mother nature, all the flora, all the fauna, help them to develop as well as they help us develop. Right. And the guy with Bach flower remedies. So how do you figure out what they were good for? He talked to the plants. 
right right cause yeah and i remember meeting uh, one of the grandmothers and of uh in native american tradition there's these 13 grandmothers and she goes yeah you know you can just start talking to them and they'll start telling you what they're good for and i'm like oh my god that's so amazing so i guess if that's where you're inclined you know that's what opens for you so I remember reading a book and going, oh, you can actually see the aura of plants. So I remember practicing it for a long time. And then I start to see them. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But then I, I lose that ability when I'm not like practicing that ability. So. And, and you're you're spot on about that. It's all about the practice. And but at the same time, to your point, like uh, the great thing is you've developed that ability. So like especially that would actually be helpful for you if you were to grow your own food. Yes. Something, and I did to consider. I did for a while, and I have a great garden. But right now, we uh, we are part of a co-op to get good fruit. So there's like so much food between the co-op food <laughs> and, the and, and the Pacific Northwest doesn't have a huge um, unless we get a, a like a hoop tent or something. But right, sunshine right. isn't um, conducive yet to that. That's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Sorry for going off on a tangent. So this gentleman. It sounds amazing. He has a oh, varied background. And so, yes. Yeah, so your experiences at that clinic, how did that go? Uh, yeah, the takeaways. So I got to experience, I went there and and I connected with him. And because I'd ask him, well, how did you learn this? Because to me, he was pretty conservative Christian practice sort of when I went there. And um, I said, you know, before I came, I had a talk with them. I'm like, you know, this is how I am. And um, are you sure you still want me in your practice? <laughs> because I was um, at that time following a holy man in India. And But we talked about energy and we talked about spirit and we could feel that in the room. And I don't know, there was just a clicking of that. And so, and I knew that also I could feel like even if you take material with color and you put color on somebody, color changes the vibration of the person. And so then we would talk about color and light and sound. And I studied and I played with um, crystals and the energy of crystals and light and color. And I even knew somebody who had a, a crystal named after them. And it was amazing what they did with stones. And I was able wow. to feel how people's bodies change when you put stones on them. So I could introduce him to a whole bunch of things that he wasn't perhaps aware of and and introduce him to a broader range of things maybe in what at that time was like more metaphysical or new age type of consciousness and um and then he would bring things in because he'd read a lot of things uh sciencey things and we talk about him and um and it was fun so we collaborated actually on a lot of different healing techniques because i knew me i was like wow you know we have to clear people for patterns when i look at a pattern of check marks i inside my brain gets fuzzy that shouldn't happen and so I created a whole bunch of pattern cards for us to show people that muscle tests with them and, and look at, wow, you know, we have to change this so people can process um, patterns, not blow out with patterns. And he, he did these things with light. That was phenomenal. I thought shining light in people's eyes and seeing how they react and clearing them and how they react to color. And, um, so we collaborated and then I was like, how about mandalas? Different mandalas are going to change things. And then um, we worked with lights and stones and, and shining that and de determining where on a body to help somebody heal or like we had a burn patient and we used it on them to help them heal faster. I think it really worked. It was amazing. So he would invest in really fun toys to use in this clinic. And 
and they all helped light color sound everything and then I'm like wow what about brainwave frequencies people have a hard time sleeping well what about seeing when you put in gamma or delta and into somebody like how their body reacts to their organs we had a way of testing where you could see what organs kind of go haywire when you put like a delta frequency into somebody because I was I was into there was something called the Monroe Institute which was fabulous okay so Bob Monroe's work, actually, I believe the CIA did mm-hmm. a paper on his gateway experiment. experience. Experience? Yeah. Yeah, at that time it was like Skip Atwater was doing all the research and they um, were doing um, experiments in shifting people's brainwave states using binaural beats where your brain takes a different of frequencies. And I got it because I was an engineer and I studied electrical engineering and <laughs> And I tried talking to them and it just didn't work when I was there, but yet I understood what they were doing. And I think it was still more a man's game then. And um, even though I was an engineer, I didn't have that door in, but I knew that there was a heart door that was missing. And it was really about the heart and integrating all this. So it was really fascinating and watching and Bob Monroe he the first few books he wrote I read them and but they were all very intellectual you know yes yes that's it exactly so I got the audible books but then as he's writing them I'm just like this yes they're They're facts but yes that's it exactly that's exactly when I read things like it's like a diet it's like empty calories like yes they're calories but they're not filling They're not life-giving. They're not life-affirming. I felt like his last book right before he passed was really finally hit the heart. And that's me. What's the name of that book? So sorry. That was a long time ago. No, I'll I'll try. I'll try to find it. So thank you for that. Because I I, I stopped listening. (laughs) I think it was like his third book. It was whatever his last book was. Then he finally hit the heart level where he started asking, you know, well, what should I do or where should I go? Or It's like surrendering into the gift that's being given. But it also had to work with the evolution of the consciousness of our country, I think, in our culture. And how do you... Well, I felt like... So where I grew up in Hawaii, it was like 10 years behind the states, I felt like, <laughs> the continental states. And I think that we very much made it a very male-dominated, Anglo-male-dominated sort of way of being was the right way and I mean I don't I hate to say that but I felt like that was it so engineering was accepted you know that was auspicious or a doctor or a lawyer right like western culture kind of western culture like western european culture I think Mm -hmm. I I have to agree with that because a lot of colonial also is very similar like that yes you know I went with what pleased people and I hid me So I surrendered my heart into the mind and went down the path of the mind. But in engineering graduate school, I remember sitting up in bed one day and going, I'm going to die of cancer if I don't change this. I heard it. It was like somebody telling me that. And I felt it in my body. So I went, wow, how in the world is this going to happen? Because I could have stayed, finished my degree and gone back home, which is like, who doesn't want to live there? It's nice. It's warm and it's pretty. And all my family's there for generations. So I was like, wow, I got to leave. And I left. I wasn't finished with my master's. I had like two classes left and I went, you know, I don't want to do it. And um, I knew I had to chase the path of the heart. 
and but I had to do it with the tools I had so far. So, gosh, I'm sorry I'm getting off track. You no, said. no, this is this is all part of the journey, and I think it's a very important part because it brings us to the point where it, it circles back to what you shared about the clinic, how. Yeah. Your practice, like you had all these toys, working with light, sound, you know, yeah. binaural beats, all of this. And it was healing people. But again, the heart was missing. So you wouldn't think that it the heart would be missing. But yet, at a deeper level, there was yeah. more healing to be done. So at Monroe Institute, I felt like they were missing the heart. Okay. okay. But it's okay. But they were still good people. And nice oh, people. of course. I'm yeah, willing yeah. to help people journey. And then at the clinic I was in, it was still, it was his clinic and I was missing something there. I think he cared immensely. It's a deeper level of the heart. A deeper like the heart level. was there. The heart yeah. is definitely there. There was the life and the spirit and you could feel that life and spirit and vibrancy. I, I feel like he was more cerebral, but he was a very good man and he knew how to work the system and he was they're funny these people who are very intellectual they like to see too sometimes they like to play with people like you know this is how it should work intellectually but it wouldn't always work that way so it would drive me nutty that it doesn't work that way and I'm I'd see people and I'd be like we could do all the healing all these cool things on them and yes help them process light better help them process sound better help them process their brainwaves better but they're not ready to heal yet and I would know it or they would do a bunch to work on somebody and they were just not done integrating and they need time to integrate. And I could feel it when I listened inside them. So it was a playground like for me almost to learn how to hear inside people or how empathic I was. Like God was showing me, look, these are your gifts. And this is how, I mean, I kind of got how bizarrely empathic you are. I mean, it was becoming shown to me that like um, I would drive through an intersection and get terrible shoulder pain and then leave the intersection and the pain would go away. And I started realizing, wow, I, I'm really empathic. This is crazy. So in that process, my mom got really sick and she came out so we could help put her back together. She's really pretty incredible, I have to admit. I had a hard time, so I asked my colleague if he would work on her because family <laughs> so family. Right, right. But one day my mom said to me, he is the brains of that clinic. And it is clearly, you know, he's the brains of that clinic, but you're the heart. And I was very blessed by people telling me really nice things, you know, like you do make a huge impact on people with what you say. And so... I felt like there was something, how do I go deeper into the heart? This is, I need to find me. I need to find my medicine. And so a whole bunch of things happened and to kind of push me out into that world. And in that, it kind of broke my heart in a way and breaking your heart open. And it was okay. And, and in that, I lost my grandmother. I lost my father and I lost my job all at the same time, which was perfect because I wouldn't have gone out and stayed with them if I hadn't lost my job. And then I got chronic fatigue and Lyme disease kind of flared up in me. And I had this once as a kid in high school and it went away. And so for many years, I panic every time I get sick because I'm like, oh my God, what if I get sick again? Like to that level, I was sick. But I got over that. And then here it was again in my face. And I don't know my, I don't know how old I was at that point in my 40s. And I had to heal me then of chronic fatigue and Lyme disease. So in that, I started, so in that healing, this is what happened. I'm laying on my couch and all I could do was pray and meditate. That's all I could do. I was so sick. And I had to look at every false belief I had. I had to look at everything I pushed up against. 
and I prayed forgiveness and I, and I let things go. I like kind of bowed myself and I prayed for my family. If anybody of us, any of us in our lineage ever did anything like this. And I went deeply into prayer and I did this for a few years and I started to see, wow, look at the dynamics of the masculine domination in our society versus the feminine, how we've oppressed the feminine energy. And in my generation, like almost not even valuing our femininity or our divineness. Yeah. Of being a mother. A lot of people started to become um, infertile and it was a lot of judgments of the feminine, I think, and oppressing it. So I'm not saying everybody did this, but this is kind of what I saw in my journey from looking, just taking a step back and only valuing the masculine, the mind in our society. It was degrading our society, losing the real mother. Yeah, the heart. Focusing only on the mind. And disregarding the heart, which is within the divine feminine. And this was my journey, like really being okay with me in the feminine, because there's part of me that um, as an empath at that point, I could just, somebody would start telling me about somebody who was sick and I could go in through them into the sick person and start working on it. And at that point, I didn't know how to not make it of my own energy. So I would become exhausted. And I'd be in bed for days. So it's almost like you were kind of doing it as default, but of your own energy rather than asking the divine and then seeking the divine and and with being with source, if source gave the permission and being with source and in in mm-hmm. being with source, doing the healing, not being impacted. Yes, I think we're still somehow we're involved in it, um, mm-hmm. in the healing but then I didn't realize, I didn't realize the extent to what I could do or what I was doing. And, you know, it's just God showing you things. So anyway, I had to walk it this way where I figured I had this gift for a reason. I knew they had shoulder pain, so I was supposed to do something with it. <laughs> so again, You're back to that same play. It was a family thing, right? So you learned to do that <laughs> in family. So you're assuming like, oh, it's the same thing. And it's like, no, it's not the same. <laughs> right, it's not the same, and and it was destroying me. Or people you love, people who are family, right? So, and it would happen in very great ways. I mean, which would leave me exhausted. At which point, um, so I met I met this Hindu healer. She was wonderful, and she she said, "Ah, you can help my friend, please." And so I sat and I did a session with her friend and helped move something off of her. And then her friend went and did something and. And I was exhausted. I had to go take a nap after that. And then uh, my friend came in the room and said, maybe you should look at another way of healing. <laughs> so, I'm like, huh, uh, good point. And right. so I, I started, that's how it started. It was a whole, a long process. And I worked with the, and at that point I knew about the Sufis and I was, and I love their path of the heart. But at that time it was very, um, I wanted more unity. You know, I grew up in a melting pot and they were pretty much very only our way at that point. This is the way to do it. And I couldn't do it uh, for a variety of reasons. I, I, you know, lost my job and then all these things happened. And then, and I was like, you know, I want unity first. I want to be able to share the path of faith with um, whoever. I don't want it to be just uh, Christians. I wanted it to open up and be Christians and Buddhists 
Egypt and Muslims and Sikhs and uh, Zoroastrians and, um, you know, whatever, whatever faith, faith, we should be able to come together and tune towards source and go, my beloved Lord, how is it that you're asking me to be with whatever gift or whatever it is you're showing me in this moment? So now that's more how I walk, but this was really an evolution, really an evolution in my own being. In the process, you wrote a book sharing your healing journey practices and methods that you've successfully used on both yourself and your clients, which will be published shortly. So with that said, questions that I have are, when did you write it? And namely, what was your intention behind writing the book? So I actually finished writing it for the most part and putting it together in 2014. But I felt like there was something missing. and. what it was, what my mission was, was to show the tools I use to heal myself out of the chronic fatigue, really, and, and Lyme issues, because I couldn't treat people how I was working in the clinic. Like, if I didn't have the money to go to the clinic and do all these cool things on me, and I could do, I could have done those cool things on me, it helped the body function better, but yet the essence was still missing. So there were patterns in me that were leaving me blocked. So when I was sick on my couch, meditating and praying, I would take notes of things that would go through my mind about how everything's a frequency and how we're basically based on water. This is my theory. I mean, you're basically water. If you freeze water, it turns into a crystalline matrix. A crystal is used as a like a piezoelectric device, which has a transmitter and receiver capabilities. And so we're basically always transmitting and receiving data. So you want that to be kind of clean in its own way. And so these frequencies of thoughts, of feelings uh, need to be cleaned. And so as we clean them, what happens as your crystal get clearer? You know, that's what I'm feeling or I was sensing. And as I meditated and I prayed, I would see and did forgiveness because that's all I worked on was prayer, meditation and forgiveness for the longest time. So I looked at all my thoughts and beliefs about the masculine and the feminine. And I took notes on the insights I was getting in where we create resistance and how to pray through it and how to get in touch with those feelings of what is it that I have? What is the resistance? So I could sense a resistance, but I was so totally unaware of my feelings, but I knew I was in resistance. So I could say, please forgive me. I'm so sorry where I'm, where I'm in resistance to the masculine as a dominating force or that I put the masculine as a dominating force when God, I really want to turn to you. So then I would write down, you know, the insights I had about the consciousness of shifting that and how I did it and how one might pray to start to remove it. And I gave examples, like if you have this, think about this, go to this section and pray. (laughs) These might be a way to pray through this. So I started taking notes and compiling um, how I got me out of that chronic fatigue state because it was just awful. That's what I did. And that's how the book came into being. But it wasn't. And I talked about praying till you felt it, like feel a sense of contrition and feel a sense of forgiveness and then let it go. And then maybe do it for your family lineage and that same thing, because clearly it was probably passed down. So I would call forth my family and then I would do the same prayer and feel, wait till I felt it and just feeling the energy shifting. So I think that was, that was the way I did it. And as I've grown deeper, I might do it differently now, but I think it's still a really good way to start for people who are very cerebral and only 
you know, they don't, they're afraid of their feelings. And what do you do with them? So it's still a good read and still had great insights and probably still at some level working through some of the things that I'm like, wow, this was great. I didn't know I said that, you know, I, I reread it and I enjoyed it. <laughs> so does that answer some of the questions? It, it does. Now, are you still experiencing chronic fatigue syndrome or have you healed yourself of chronic fatigue and Lyme? I don't think I have uh, the Lyme disease anymore. That's not an issue. I don't have the chronic fatigue as far as I know. Wow. You know, I, So you're able to actually, by doing the work that you share in the book, you're able to address the frequency, to your point, address the frequencies that were underpinning those conditions via prayer and meditation and going into your heart and moving into your heart rather than using fancy gadgets so your body felt better. Right, exactly. It's really about each person's connection with the divine. Um. I'm and that's through the heart, not the head or the mind. The book still works with, I think, the mind a lot. I think it was really my transition into uh, in the opening of the heart. And what I might add in, how do you fill that in deeper? But still, that's like a whole other book almost, you know? So this yeah. is really a transformation of walking from that masculine into the feminine and an introduction of how to look at yourself and process, like using source and that connection to process your feelings and learning how to pray and making that connection with the divine. I think it's an introduction into that. I almost feel, and, and feel free to correct me, I almost feel like journey into the heart. It's almost like the beginning of a journey into the heart. Journey into the heart, a set, a collection of prayers and meditation. In how to heal yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do even talk about a little bit about nutrition. I'm just like, hey, these are basic concepts because it was my really healing. I had chronic fatigue so bad. I'm serious. This was about three and a half years. I could only just pray and meditate about eight to 14 hours a day. That's how bad it was. So it was getting out of that to where I could be in the world again. And so to get really the climax of that was learning how to more deeply surrender and bring in when you get rid of something really extend it and follow it um, as far away from you as you can possibly can if you have that essence of the divine sending it all the way to that and then allowing the new imprint of who you could be or should be um do the come into your heart pretty powerful it's very liberating and i i really feel that our healing is a journey for ourselves with whatever created us. So each person has to really feel that. And uh, some people go, oh, it's too much work. Well, then maybe that's not for you, you know, and you want to take the magic pill, but I, I don't always think the magic pill works. However, if you're called to take the pill, then you have to, you know, if if you feel your connection with sources saying, go down this road, then you need to go down that road. So you have to find what's right for you. For me, I feel like the essence of healing is reconnecting people with source. And that's the only thing that works. I could take every remedy on the planet and never shift my complete symptoms. And only me walking this way really has helped heal me and liberate me from my own liber by from my own limiting set of beliefs. Right. That's huge. So when can we expect to see it published? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god 
Um, I know you're working on it I, now. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what to add in and, and where to add it in because I feel like there's another book. You know, I was probably a follow was, up. There's going to be a follow up. So, which delves deeper, I think, because it can't, otherwise, it's going to be, you know, like a dictionary or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, be, to me, it's kind of a light read and it's kind of simple, but. And the pro- that process works. I think the next read is just a deeper connection with source. And so then I can't wait to write that one. So this one I have to clean up just a little bit. I figure, you know, I figure within six months I should have, at the latest, I should have it to be published on demand. Is I'm, oh, is what I'm, excellent. I'm, I'm saying that and I'm just, you know, that's, that's what I would like to do. Oh, that sounds <laughs> lovely. That sounds lovely. So for each show, I have um, several concluding questions. So to wrap it up now, what did you learn about yourself in the process of the experiences you lived through? What did I learn about myself? Oh my God. Besides the fact that I I was very empathic, (laughs) it was to value me. I think really right now it's to, you know, to love me for who I am that I was created not just for uh, like duty. The book to me was like duty. It was really interesting. It's like, I have to go through this because I have to write the book, you know, and I have to get it down. Uh, But it's like to value who we are as God created us if we're sensitive or not sensitive even, I suppose. So just who you are as you are and walk to becoming a better person. That's beautiful. What takeaways would you hope listeners get from listening to our conversation? Oh my gosh, to value yourself, that you mean something to source that which created you, that existence of all life universally, you know, that essence of all life universally, that thing that created you, love. And I hope that you can take it into your heart and not resist it, to really take it in and cherish it and allow it to penetrate every aspect of your being because it's rejuvenating, like a mother loving a child, a real mother that can, and I don't mean the man or woman, just that maternal energy, I think, the one that can hold and nurture, like, um, you know, like a mom breastfeeding a child. kind. It's beautiful again. So apart from the book, what's next for you? You mean the next book? (laughs) 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 okay maybe the next book (laughs) I mean I really want to write another book and really filling yourself with that divine you know that uh, deeper connection so this one was healing yourself and the next one is really about more deeply connecting with source I think because as I write this it evolved in me and I can more deeply connect with source and I'd love to talk to groups and be able to help them to feel what that feels like what does that feel like you know yeah how do you feel the presence and I want people I'd love to talk to groups and help them people learn to liberate themselves from their own pain and And, and you're spot on about the reconnection to source because like once people feel that, no one can take that away from them. And I think that's really the key, the personal experience. Yes. And it takes you out of a system of reliance on other people. And I also think it's showing up for each other. And because if you walk this with somebody, which is really kind of a neat thing, and you 
even a friend, um, if you're like in a marriage, but it's not that person, it's like your girlfriend or your boyfriend, your male or female friend to say, hey, let's learn how to hold each other's hearts as we walk through this and learn how to feel uh, the presence of the divine more deeply. So because it takes you out of the system and I mean, I believe that the medical field has its strong suits, but I don't want to be only dependent on the medical field to ease my pain when it could never touch my pain. It could never touch why I was sick. You know, labeling me with some mono-like illness or, well, how do I get it better? Well, taking antibiotics can help. So how do you stop the pain on the inside? That That's the separation and the non-acceptance of self. So I want people to be able to heal and people to learn how to hold each other's hearts and be more uh, loving towards one another. I think that it'll create more peace in our world instead of the strange game of domination that goes on, whether, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically, economically. So, right, right. Which is to your point, you know, just it's the imbalance that's present at this moment in time. So. Well, with the work that you've done and the work you hope to do in the future, I'm, I'm certain that we will be shifting otherwise. And so just being aware of it and facing it is really the first, is really the first acknowledging it. So that way we can change it. Yes. And I think that's what's happening on the planet. It's tipping point. I mean, you know, it's like the 100th monkey syndrome. I mean, it's and I think that's why so many people were pursuing that spiritual unity on the inside so that you can reach a certain level where other people just kind of pick it up because I think it's becoming more prevalent where people are conscious of being empathic. Oh, wow. You you know, I'm not just an island unto myself. That's not the way to go through life. Mm -hmm. And that it's a collective consciousness. So it's not easy, but let's hope uh, people. (laughs) It's not boring. That's for sure. (laughs) That's right. So any closing thoughts? Well, I'm very grateful. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me and talk to me and uh, be with me. I'm very grateful and um, I'm flattered that you've given me this time. Thank you. So thank you again for sharing and joining us today, Samantha. Look forward to seeing you on on what's next for you. I can't wait to read your book. That's for sure. (laughs) I'm very grateful and you're welcome as well. I we look forward to it too. Who knows what, you know, holds is going to open next. So, <laughs> And until next time, kind listeners, please remember that you are the change that you seek in the world. So please make and be the change you want to see. Take care. Bye-bye. Be well, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Changes with C.A. Sador. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, or leave a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We hope to connect with you soon.